This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I thought about this with the announcement that the Ontario Science Centre is headed downtown to Ontario Place in a smaller building. Look, I'm of two minds of this, and that's not to sit on the fence. I am, I'm question, I question exactly how long this has sort of been a process. And if it hasn't been a process for very long, this seems like it's a rather immediate scenario. And by the way, you can make the case that at times, for better or worse, and some will make the, you know, make the addendum richer or poor, this is how Doug Ford operates. And I'm not saying that as a compliment, and I'm not saying it as a criticism. It's a objective observation. Things move quickly with the Ford government. Naturally, Doug Ford didn't campaign in 2018 uh, in an election that, like, he did well, and it was a majority government. But I think we'd all make the case that uh, with Kathleen Wynne running again, um, an inanimate carbon rod could have been the conservative leader, and they win the election. That's just the case. Patrick Brown would have won. Caroline Mulroney would have won. Christine Elliott would have won. Any of them were about to be the next premier. That's just how it was going to work. You can throw a seat here and a seat there. Um, that said, uh, Doug Ford did not campaign on, you know what we're going to do, folks and friends, to Toronto City Council? Let me lay it out for you. Instead, it's sort of a slam, 47 council seats to 25. Now, the Eglinton Crosstown is getting built and almost finished. That's the word on the street, that street and others. It'll get built to the soon-to-be-abandoned Science Center. So that made no sense to not sort of have that in the back of your brain as the Eglinton Crosstown is getting built. The Ontario Line is going to be built, you know, (laughs) a decade from now, 12 years from now, and that Ontario Line gets run right to the Science Center. Now, remember, the Ontario Line's important. You'd rather have it than not have it. Costs have exploded, of course. Uh, It's delayed, of course, also. But the concept is get more people downtown quicker without using cars. I've made the dumb mistake. I did it just on Saturday night um, to go to Toronto FC to drive instead of taking the train because I didn't think a train time worked. It was not about money. I, I just, with the timing of when we needed to leave where we were leaving from, I thought driving will be easier. I think I made a mistake by about 12 minutes, but we still got there for for opening kickoff of, of TFC. But I felt a bit bad about it. We should have been smarter about the process. And the concept will be, Public transit to um, to to the Thermi Spa, public transit to Live Nation concert venue, Bud Stage, public transit to the Ontario Science Center, and make it easier. You already do it for the Blue Jays and the Aquarium and and uh, anywhere else you're going to go in that sort of waterfront area. I think we could definitely say Front Street and, and where uh, where Rogers Center is is a waterfront area. But I think it's very fair to be asking questions about this process now. Sometimes Toronto gets accused of being a little too in the face of everywhere else in not just Canada, but certainly to um, to bring it micro instead of macro, Ontario. And Doug Ford made that point yesterday. I always respect that Toronto's the, the host, the city, but last time I checked on the sign out there, it doesn't say Toronto uh, place, it says Ontario place. This is for everyone around Ontario. Well, he's right, and I do think that's the concept also of, we've talked about this for, with tax distribution. Who benefits from Toronto, well, benefiting? Who benefits from Toronto having nice things? I would make the case we all do. 
growing up in London, living close to Toronto, or if you grew up in Kitchener or Guelph or Hamilton, you know how fun it was to come into Toronto to do something cool. You know those things. And uh, and so I think a strong Toronto, a strong Ottawa, you can make the case certainly for that in U.S. cities, who, I'll make this point again, are able to raise their own tax revenue. New York has a city tax. Chicago has a city tax. Detroit has a city tax. Boston has a city tax. We don't. We can't tax in Toronto. We've got to go, hat in hand as described, and go to the other places. Mitzi Hunter was on the show yesterday. Uh, she's running for mayor also and made the point. This kind of takes the only tourist attraction away from a community that's got a lot of people living in it. We want to see our public institutions remain public, especially when they're so treasured. That's the only thing that is available for children and families in that local community. And to just tear it down without speaking to them is wrong. I don't know how it's going to affect businesses in that area, um, but my instant instant thought is not very because I do think you go to the science center, then you leave. I don't think it's you're not checking into a hotel to go to the science center like you would a sporting event downtown or a concert or even the aquarium. You're not. So I don't know what what kind of ripple effect that's going to have, but I'll make the case I made before top of the hour. We've got to talk about preserving the building, and I think there's going to be more conversation about it in the days to come. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. BC and Saskatchewan last week lifted universal mask mandates in healthcare settings. I don't want, nobody wants to have a big, I'm, we're in too good a mood to have a big battle about masks. That's not where we're going. But BC and Saskatchewan dropped theirs. And Ontario is just, I'm going to tell you, it's weird. Um, the headline in the Toronto Star late yesterday, Megan Oliver uh, wrote this, health reporter, mask rules are changing at Ontario hospitals. Here's where you will still have to mask up. And I'm just going to say it. It's super confusing. They're dropping mandated masking in parts of their facility, including waiting rooms and emergency departments. But some hospitals will continue to require masks in all areas where patients may be present. So University Health Network is one. Sunnybrook is another. The Sunnybrook uh, medical director says there is no change to our masking policy for patients and visitors. Look, this is what I hear. And so going Friday to Scarborough Centenary, for our kids follow up um, post-op knee thing, we we had to put um, blue surgical masks on. Okay, well, I'll do that. Um, How about yesterday for your, your finger surgery? Zero. And my and the oh. doctor the, And was this at a hospital? It was at a like a dermatology clinic. Okay. So he there, there was clear there was no ruse there. Now, some patients had them on, some nurses had them on. Fine. But I think <laughs> it is I think it's ultimately confusing. Like I had a mask in my pocket thinking I might need it. You probably have been, so that's rare for me to go to two places in the last five days. You probably haven't been too many places where you think, I need it, I got to find it. I wear it it every week. I wear it every single week to this day since the pandemic began. Well, halfway through the pandemic, let's say, because I play Mahjong with a bunch of um, senior women. I don't want to say the senior. No, they're like. You're one of the junior women, though. I think I'm the youngest one there. They always tease me, make fun of me about it. But my work hours are different from everybody else in my age group. Yeah. Right. I'm done at like early in the morning. So they have they're they're there. They're retirees. Exactly. Right. Okay. They're retired or they're stay at home moms whose kids have grown up. So how's the mask percentage changed since the game started? Well, I mean, there were five of us. And then one of these one of the women, she's a retired lawyer, lovely woman. Uh, and she insisted that we all wear masks. She's just more comfortable with it. And this is like going back a year and a, a year ago, let's say, you know, when it was still a little iffy. So we said, sure, no problem. We're indoors if that's how you feel comfortable. When we're outside, we don't wear masks when the weather's nice. But, you know, we're indoors. We're at this woman's house. Uh, so we wore a mask. Now we've had a couple of new women join. 
and they're learning how to play. And when the host initially said, you know, there's a woman there that prefers you wear a mask, they all came with their masks and then halfway through they just took them off. <laughs> so now, yeah. They, but you guys eat, do you guys, you must eat and drink during the proceedings. We do. So I'll, I'll have a Who could play mahjong without, yeah, without yeah. sustenance? Uh, so you, a lot of people just pull their mask down, have a swig of water and then put it back up. But these new women, now they play at a separate table from us in this woman's house because they don't want to wear their masks. So I'm still you in my mask. have a mask-free zone from Mahjong at we the do. house. We do. In the next room over, in the kitchen, and we're in the dining room. Yes. Do the winners of each game play each other? Is it like, like no. Western oh. Eastern Conference? No, they're, be- they're, begin- they're beginners. <laughs> they're still learning. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's a beginner table and, a, and oh. an ex- yeah. a more expert But then what table. happens when the beginners become experts? I wonder what's going to happen there. All hell will break loose. Yeah, so you so you haven't had you haven't had your kids in for anything at a at a doctor's office or anything where you're like no, but I've we, taken my dad. Not? Okay, I okay. take my dad. I mean, once in a while he's got a hospital appointment, so I will take him. We put our masks on. We all bring him in. You know, I put him in a wheelchair, and then we'll go right into the hospital. Uh, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I wear it every week at Mahjong, so it is what it is. But it's an odd one. Like Sunny Brooks, wrote- I don't want my kid. In, I don't want my seven year old in it. Yeah. But no. I don't mind wearing it. Sunnybrook's relaxing universal masking for staff-only areas. Um, wearing a mask is still required while moving throughout the hospital. So I don't know what that means. Is that sort of restaurant style? Like you could be doing desk work, filing, sending faxes because it's Ontario Healthcare, um, and sending faxes, and then oh, I I gotta go uh, check the fax paper, and you have to put a mask on to walk twenty feet. I have no idea. I just think it's it's probably really complicated for everybody working there, too. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Um, so, you know, we got a big challenge in Ontario with building homes. It's it's sort of um, a little bit of a layer to the story of the Ontario Science Centre. There is the, I won't call it an excuse, but an explanation made. Well, that's land that, the, that we could utilize for homes in a nice area of Toronto that's um, got a lot of transit involved um, that would, you know, filter into the neighborhoods and the schools, etc. We told you about a story last week in Stouffville that was just remarkable to me. I couldn't get over it. And I think it was the photo, like York Region put out a paper and the photo had about 15 residents and 12 of them had their arms crossed. And that's the international signal for, I'm about to do something that you won't like. The arms crossed. By the way, the one woman, you can tell, she's got her arms crossed. The husband next to her has just has, he goes, I'll go hands in the pocket, but I'm not going full arms crossed. I want to give this some time. Bottom line, they had a they had a stacked townhouse development concept on Main Street in Stouffville that was going to be about 110 units. And then the residents said, mm, cut it down to 60. So, okay, they adjusted the development. Well, now it's down to 35. And there's no guarantee that that gets pushed through. So that answers the question, how are we going to build 1.5 million homes in this province in 10 years? And by the way, these are affordable homes. The cheaper homes are being blocked by you, me, and our neighbors, it seems like. Our next guest had a great example locally as well, and he knows the business as well as anyone else does. From Butler Mortgage, joining us right now is Ron Butler. Ron, it's great to have you on Toronto today. Thanks for making the time this early. Thanks for having me, Greg. I kind of like I, I don't want to stereotype, but it is like that. It seems like the sprawling homes, homes that would be on golf courses or in big residential neighborhoods. No one's crossing their arms and, and making signs with markers and blocking those. It seems to be the more affordable homes in these communities that residents are putting their feet down about. Yeah, it's a sad situation where people get to make the call on what kind of buildings go up on empty land. It's empty. The one, this one in particular, there's nothing on it. It hasn't been forever. And uh, it just simply makes no sense that you're going to block 
building a uh, small condo project on completely empty land. What what was the story? Is there going to be more traffic? Yeah, there's going to be more traffic every day. We grow this city mm-hmm. uh, day by day. But uh, is is it even reasonable? The land is empty. Yeah, th- this is life. You and I probably know hundreds of people who bought a condominium at one point, whenever, in downtown Toronto, because they could see the water, and then a condominium went up in front of them. Like, that's the, <laughs> that's the risk of buying a co- waterfront condo, is someone might block you out and uh, and set up another, another building right in front of yours. It's life. It's just going to happen, potentially. Absolutely. It's pretty much guaranteed in downtown Toronto. But to your point, the, the idea that we're never going to change anything ever... Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, we have a massively growing uh, population in Ontario and in Toronto, Mississauga, all these surrounding communities, rapidly growing. Uh, maybe half a million people came to Ontario last year. We have to have reasonable ability to put them somewhere. And it doesn't make sense to block any sort of development just because you don't want anything to change. So you call yourself overly opinionated on your uh, on your Twitter handle. And you have an example in Mississauga of something that would affect two houses, but a lot more people than the people in those two houses got involved. Can you can you in a few minutes walk us through the story? Sure. It's a small triangular piece of land uh, bordering on the QEW on one side, Mississauga Road on the other. And at one side of the triangle, there's two family homes that have been there for a long time. This is completely empty land. It's been empty for decades and decades. So should we build a, a senior citizen's condominium building on it? Might be 15 stories, might be 10 stories now. Absolutely, a couple of families are going to be affected. They're going to be affected by shadowing from the building. There's going to be an effect on um, construction. There's going to be like five years of construction, four years of construction. They'll find irritating. But literally, a thousand people are signing a petition to say, you can never build anything here. Or if you don't build something that looks exactly like all the other houses on the street, we won't allow it. So no density allowed, no... No chance to have more people in one place. And the craziest part of all, perhaps, was that these thousand people signing the petition said they wanted to save the condo buyers from themselves <laughs> because, because they thought their traffic on the QEW would be too loud. They wouldn't like it. How benevolent, how benevolent of them. That's and how do you miss the QEW? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there, there is that also. Um, it, 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 what, what problems do you run into with first-time home buyers who say, this is all I want. I want a, I want a lovely place. Doesn't have to be big. I'm starting out. It's harder than ever to buy. I've got young, a young family. Just put me close to a school. Put me somewhere where I don't have to worry about my car getting stolen, but that's probably everywhere now. What do you say to those? What's the conversation like to people like that who want to be um, just getting going into the game here? Well, unfortunately, the conversation is mainly uh, they don't know how they can do it. Uh, they look at mortgage rates as they are today. They look at the price of homes, which, by the way, fell uh, probably during parts of 2022 and 23. But is actually home prices are starting to go up again in the TTA and surrounding towns. That's because of volume, isn't it? There's just so few things on the market. There's great demand and, and there, there are still bidding wars regardless of the interest rates. 100%. That is correct. There is simply not enough people offering houses for sale. Lots of reasons for that. Yeah. But when there's, but there's still always going to be someone just as you described, someone who's having their second child and they simply want to get into a decent sized home. So they want to buy, but 
the availability is very low. And situations like this, which you can refer to as nimbyism, not in my backyard, uh, just contribute to less and less inventory. So the concept was reduce a lot of the red tape and let the politicians sort of stand back and get out of the way. But actually, we've needed aggressive politicians to to cut that red tape. It, it becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy at, at a certain point in time. And I know that mayors, doesn't matter, Bonnie Crombie, Patrick Brown, whoever's going to be mayor of Toronto, they're going to they're 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 going to get the phone calls. They're going to get the emails from people saying exactly what you said. Not in my backyard. Put it somewhere else. And and it just they want to get elected. They want to stay popular and they fight those battles as to what which battles are worth are worth pushing forward or not. Absolutely. The demographic group that is the most likely to vote in any election are homeowners over the age of 55. So that creates a huge voting block of people who never want to see anything change in their neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And I, uh, is there a solution where all four, like, like if you could get the three levels of government together, what, who needs to pull the oars in the right direction the most? Who's sort of stopping and, and encouraging this nimbyism? Who could, who could sort of, we're never going to eliminate it, but can we minimize it? There's only one solution that's being tried in British Columbia. Their new premier, Dave Deby, is introducing an act in the summer that says that every single piece of single family land, zoned single family in British Columbia, is automatically upzoned to allow two, three, or four buildings on it. Three, two, three or four units on it. You actually have to cut through the municipalities. You have to cut through um, what they, what the councillors and what mayors want to do. And you just have to say, we're just going to do blanket upzoning of the entire province. And I, I hate asking, is that sort of pie in the sky? It won't happen. It could happen. It should happen. But could it? Sorry, it should happen. Could it happen? It could happen. But right now, it doesn't look like it will. Um, some, perhaps people, other premiers are going to sit back and look at what happens in British Columbia. But the reality is we need it here in the most populated province in Canada. We need it here more than anywhere else. Mm. Ron Butler from Butler Mortgage, our guest. Hey, let's do this again sometime. I really uh, like your energy and your passion for uh, helping people out and and, and absolutely um, getting getting the homes, you know, that were sort of targeted that we need desperately to cut down sort of that supply demand uh, disparity right now. Thanks for doing this this morning. Thanks for having me, Greg. Appreciate it. You bet. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. There will be a new day on the uh, mayoral campaign in Toronto. Many mayoral candidates have weighed in on um, this issue with the Ontario Science Centre and Ontario Place. Um, I thought it was put the right way by the Premier yesterday. This is Ontario Place. It isn't called Toronto Place. And while Toronto probably, I'd love to see a breakdown of the demographics of how many people uh, utilize both the Science Centre and um, down in Ontario Place, when it was thriving, especially in the 80s and 90s, that are from um, Toronto proper. But at the same time, we just thought it was the greatest thing in the planet to take a bus trip from London and, and come up to go to Ontario Place to use it or to come up and see a concert by the waterfront. So, look, I, I don't know how everybody ends up being made whole or happy by this, um, but this is I don't think we can make the case that it's not progress. You just you I think we're just aligning in different uh, factions as to whether you like this particular progress or not. Very pleased to welcome on the Minister of Infrastructure for the provincial government. Big part of yesterday's announcement as well. She is Kinga Surma. Kinga, thanks very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for having me this morning. Absolutely. It, it had that element of excitement to it yesterday. You guys do the announcement at uh, at Bud stage by all the seats. And I, and I thought about that, too. I'm like, that was real progress when that amphitheater was built in 1995. And it's been refurbished up. Live Nation's been a great partner uh, with the province there. I, I, I guess that that's what you're hoping for, that kind of, you know, sustenance and, and, um, and endurance for, for the Science Center when you build a new Science Center down there. Yes, absolutely. And uh, the Budweiser stage, Live Nation, they have been spectacular tenants at Ontario Place. We know it's something that the people really enjoy in the city of Toronto and beyond coming to concerts. And now they will be building a stage that will be operational all year round with greater mm-hmm. capacity. And we're also excited about the Science Centre as well. Science Centre ha- is a treasure for the province of Ontario. The old site is in desperate, desperate need, need of repair. And we thought that we, we've done a business case analysis. It is less expensive to build a brand new modern facility. We thought it would certainly complement the other tenants that we have at Ontario Place. And we want to make it a world-class attraction, a wonderful place that families can go to, enjoy all day there, uh, and be able to enjoy the site all year round, which is not the case today. It's not. I, I think that's a fair statement. Um, so you, you explain why the move happened. And I, I guess the one thing people are wondering, whether they love the idea or whether they're mixed on it, uh, King, is it feels like it's happened awfully fast. And I only bring that up because I don't remember it being an election issue. I don't remember when um, w- when the, the win liberals were in charge before 2018 when you were elected. I just don't remember it being an issue. So has a lot of work, I guess, been done in the recent weeks and months to study this? Yes, absolutely. And back in 2021, when we made the announcement and shared our preliminary vision for Ontario Place, which included, of of course, Live Nation and and Therme, we also made clear to the public that we were looking at bringing science-specific programming to Ontario Place as well. We knew that, of course, the Science Centre, there's been very little funds given to it in order to keep it up uh, to modern standards and rehabilitate the building. And so we developed... underwent the process of a business case analysis to determine whether uh, to determine whether it should stay at its existing location or whether it's worthwhile exploring a brand new facility. The results identified that it was it was uh, much more cost effective to build a brand new facility, which is also a wonderful opportunity uh, to create new exhibits and modern space. Um, And the people that work at the Science Center, I know, are very, very excited about it. So what happens to the building that was there? You mentioned um, it is an older building. There's no question about that. Um, and, and people that have been there in the last few years, I remember going there with littler kids. And I think the last time I was probably there, to be honest, was about eight years ago. But it felt it felt lived in. I'll put it that way. There's a lot of debate about what can happen to the building. Does, does some aspect of it get preserved or is the entire thing planned to be um, knocked down? Well, certainly we will have that discussion with the City of Toronto. We will have that discussion with the community. We are building the Ontario line up there. There will be two two transit lines. This government created and led the way in terms of our transit-oriented communities program, which builds housing and other community amenities around transit and transit stations. So certainly we will have those discussions with the City of Toronto and with the local community. Uh, we're talking to King Asurma, Minister of Infrastructure for the provincial government on Toronto today on 640 Toronto. The new Science Centre is going to be smaller. 
Um, but in, in a way, that can make it a little more lively. That can make walking between exhibits uh, and walking between uh, areas. I, that's one thing I do remember is um, it was very, very spread out. This can be a little more compact. I've heard it compared, uh, King, to sort of like how the Ripley's Aquarium is. It's kind of compact because of the, the land beside the CN Tower and Rogers Center, but it's still very, you, you can get a lot in into a smaller space. Is that the idea? Yes, absolutely. Optimizing space. And we have to remember, we built buildings differently many, many years yeah. ago. We built we build them far more efficient now. Uh, square footage will be less, but we'll also be u- utilizing the pods and the cinesphere as well for science-specific programming. Um, and so, again, we think it really complements the site with a water park and thermae, an all-year-round stage, 43 acres of public realm space, piers, boardwalks, fountains. We truly believe that this is a wonderful vision. We've collected feedback over many years now and incorporated them into the site. And we were very excited to share the holistic view yesterday with the premier. What do you see, Kenya, as the timeline? If someone said, when do you think I could walk through the doors of the new science center on the waterfront? What would be the year? What would you what would you look at? Well, this is a big, big redevelopment of the site. There's Lots that needs to be done. My immediate priority is the site servicing work. We need to make sure that all the utilities and underground infrastructure, as well as the shoreline enhancements and flood mitigation work, needs to be done as soon as possible because you can't prepare the site for your future tenants and or build the public realm space without that work. So that is my focus. We anticipate that work to start in May. We want to complete the environmental assessment work concurrently at the same time. Then we'll forge ahead on the public realm and park space and then we anticipate that we can likely start construction on the science center in year 2025 but again there are lots of steps this is a really really big development and so we're taking it one step at a time we are keeping the public apprised we will continue to work with the city of toronto um but this will be a wonderful wonderful place once complete King of Surma, our guest. Last thing for you, I, I know you know uh, you know the political world well enough that politics ends up being uh, emotional. I think even when people get involved and, and talk about their routines or where they're going to walk or ride a bike, it, it gets even more emotional. This feels like a debate with Ontario Place, King of that you can't please everybody. Is it inevitable people will feel they didn't get what they wanted out of the process? Well, I think it's really important that people do express their opinions about what they'd like to see at Ontario Place. I think it's really important that we're connected to to sites and treasures here in the province of Ontario. It just means how much we care about the city and, and the province. But what I would like to reassure people, those listening, is that our final product that we presented yesterday with the Premier took all of the feedback that we've collected in years. We heard from the public they wanted outdoor public realm space, 43 acres. We will have a public realm space that's bigger than Trinity Bellwoods Park. We heard that they wanted access to the water. So now you will be able to dip your toes and walk into the water with beaches, with beautiful places you can sit. We also heard that the marina was very much uh, loved by the public. And so we will be rebuilding and modernizing the marina as well. And, and people wanted things to do as a family. And so we have three wonderful tenants now, Science Center, Thermae, Live Nation and lots of public realm space, which I think um, the people will be really pleased about is something that we heard from the public and that was reflected in our products shown yesterday. Mm. It's going to be fascinating to see where it all goes. King, thanks so much for the time today and the explanation. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show.
Thank you so much. Have a good day. You bet. King Surma is the Minister of Infrastructure for the province. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. So it's going to be um, quite significant. This gets really into the weeds in terms of politics. There's so many complicated issues. Like I would need a chalkboard or a chart like Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind you, to, like to document how seats change in federal elections. Like in 1988. There were 295 seats in the House of Commons. You only needed 148 seats for a majority. We've been at 338 for quite a while right now, but they're going to redistribute some seats and bottom lining it for us locals. Toronto is believed in the report from the Federal Electoral Boundaries Commission for Ontario uh, to change the provincial federal riding. So we're losing a seat, in essence, in Don Valley. The Liberal MP in Don Valley East right now is a longtime Liberal MPP as well, Michael Cotone. He joins us now on Toronto Today. Michael, thanks very much for the time, and great to have you on. Good morning. Thank you. When you find out about this, you're, uh, obviously this is your riding, so it, uh, it, it hits you, and I'm sure you're hoping that things change. You know how politics works, and people adapt. That's part of the game, but it, it's, it doesn't seem like we're not losing population, so this is not like a thousands of people have vacated, and you don't have the voters anymore. You absolutely do. Yeah, and and city of Toronto is growing. Um, you know, yesterday I was, I was uh, saying to some folks that we have uh, – over 250 cranes in operations uh, in the city. You know, the next largest city with the second place amount of growth in cranes is uh, Los Angeles of 50. So the city's growing. Um, you know, it represents 20% of GDP of the entire country. It's one of the, it is the fastest growing city in North America. Um, so uh, to lose a seat is uh, it, it's not really aligned with where the city's going. But the complication in this process is that. Um, the Federal Electoral Commission that is responsible for these changes actually put out a map uh, last year and suggested a change in Scarborough. And, uh, and um, there was obviously some uh, opposition to that. And in February, we found out in Don Valley East, out of, out of nowhere, uh, that they switched that and they moved the problem from Scarborough to North York. So we didn't have an opportunity to uh, consult on the issue uh, people, not one person in Don Valley East saw the map before it was, uh, it was the final map was presented. So we feel a little bit like, um, you know, our democracy wasn't upheld by not being able to participate in the process and, and give our point of view on how this new map, uh, uh, this new uh, riding removal impacts our community. If it doesn't, if it doesn't change, Michael, what what does does Don Valley East amalgamate completely with another riding, or does it splinter? And depending on where you live in Don Valley East, do some voters become part of this riding and some voters become part of that riding? So what happens is along the Don River, there's a uh, split that is uh, is being proposed. So anyone who's on the east side of the, the Don River joins uh, with Scarborough Centre. So, you know, the, the villages of, uh, of Victoria Park, uh, places like uh, Underhill, uh, uh, Parkwoods, they all join uh, a Scarborough riding, which really breaks away from a, a long-time tradition of Victoria Park being the line between Scarborough and North York. And the other half of the riding go, uh, gets absorbed into a brand-new riding called Don Valley South. So the riding doesn't necessarily disappear. It, it gets divided into three parts. One part does go up to Don Valley North. It's a very small section. But essentially, uh, the riding we know uh, as Don Valley East that's been around since 1972, uh, you know, for 50 years, uh, essentially is gone. Yeah, like it, it's it, the, the House of Commons seats. I know people probably in Saskatchewan or New Brunswick will kind of 
Maybe they'll uh, sneer and say, oh, you know, poor Toronto, they're not represented in government because, of course, Ontario has the most people by a mile. And so they get the most seats. But at the same time, um, this like like we're saying, this isn't exactly something that's that's being done based on population and based on represent representatives per voter. It's not it's not like that. Well, the, the, no one would have ever thought that the city of Toronto would be losing a seat. And uh, and the second piece is. Um, we never would have believed that the same entity that's responsible for ensuring democracy through electoral uh, boundary reform would actually put forward a proposal and not allow people to participate in the democratic process. And I think that's the, the second piece to it is the troubling piece, that the residents of Don Valley East, Scarborough Centre, Don Valley West and Don Valley North were being impacted, never saw the maps. They were presented as a final report. And uh, there is no opportunity to consult. And, you know, the, I, I represent a riding in, in Flux. Uh, you know, you were talking about the Science Centre. Well, it's in the riding. Um, we have 100 towers going up along the Don Mills Corridor. We have the LRT coming through. We've got the new subway station on the Ontario line. You know, we have the largest, one of the largest newcomers population in the entire country, you know, in Flemington Park and surrounding areas. There's a lot of changes happening. And a, a community like Flemington Park, which, you know, is losing the Science Centre, it's changed three times in 10 years, electoral boundaries. So how do you expect people in a community to start to gel together to align, you know, services from third parties? You know, we have, uh, we have uh, you know, police departments and hospitals that align among these borders. How do you expect a community to really settle and advocate for itself if you keep switching its representatives and its boundaries? Michael Cotteau, Liberal MP, joins us uh, from Don Valley East. I, I mentioned our member, and I think the first election I voted in was in... 93, that might have been yours also. And and we crossed from 93 to 97 over that 300-seat threshold. We've talked about immigration targets. Your government's talked about immigration targets. Won't it just make sense that eventually we there's more than 338 members of the House of Commons? So it, like you can't you can't have one representative for 150,000 people wherever we go. It's too many. It's too unwieldy. Yeah, and I think um, I think we do need to have a, a larger conversation across the country around uh, representation and processes that are in place to uh, to decide how we go about boundary changes. Because the you know I've said the the, the process is flawed, um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, we're seeing um, historical numbers of immigrants coming into the country. Uh, we're seeing uh, new areas develop overnight. Uh, there's a lot of growth happening in many regions across this country, and we just need to make sure that. There's an alignment between the process we have in place and uh, and the way in which people are represented in places like the House of Commons. So, OK, you mentioned the Science Center. Um, Bertie tells me that you grew up across from it. So, you know, the area really, really well. I, I've been to the Science Center probably uh, over 500 times as a young person. Wow. Do you ever get you know, I lived right across the street at the at Seven Rochford, the little brown building across the street. So. That's a lot of cafeteria food at the Science Center. Um, <laughs> you know, summer programs. We, uh, you know, we spent weekends there. Uh, we spent many, 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 many years at the Science Center. It was a place that, you know, kids in Flemington Park go to, to play. So this has you must be emotionally impacted. Um, the community is certainly going to be financially impacted and i'm going to ask you this you're in the wind government until 2018 i never heard this discussed i never heard this brought up um so this feels like a very fast uh you know uh, lightning speed if you will decision and consultation and, and and the rest of it how do you read it 
Well, you know, we did a report back in 2015, I believe, the Ontario government, about moving the Science Centre to Ontario Place. There was actually a report, which I wish people, you know, would look back at. And what we found in the report, there were some challenges of moving it downtown to uh, downtown Toronto. Number one, um, the young people who are accessing that building, a lot of them would come from uh, the Durham region, from York region, uh, from regions even further outside of there, because they would come in and be able to access the city because it was on the edge of the city. Yep. We, we knew, you know, the Science Centre still gets almost a million people visiting a year. We know that when you move it downtown, you exclude a whole new area of Ontarians. You know, the Premier says this is, the, you know, this is not a, just Toronto, this is about Ontario. Well, that's, that's true. You know, provide access to people who live outside the city as well by putting it in a location that's accessible. Do you think anyone from Coburg, Ontario, is going to drive right into the city core as a, as a field trip to visit the Science Centre if they have to deal with downtown traffic? We're trying to figure out how to deal with traffic downtown and congestion, and we're adding a million more people to the downtown core visiting a year. It doesn't make sense. No, and I'll tell you, as a, a young parent at the time of young kids where you know how this works, on a Saturday you're like, stop you know, using magic markers on the wall, let's get in the car and get out of the house. If our choice, Michael, from coming from Ajax, where we live, was between the the ROM, which is nice, and the Science Center. We picked the Science Center most times. We were 100%. members of both places, but it's way more convenient than trying to park on Blur Street at one o'clock on a Saturday. Well, it just it is. Feels like it feels like what they've done at Ontario Place. You remember, people keep saying. I heard the the end of your last interview that nothing was happening. Well, a lot was happening at the Ontario Science Center. The pods mm. were given heritage status and refurbished. We built a brand new park. Um, and the trail that goes to the Bill Davis Trail, you know, for the Pan Am Games, that whole new park was built. So when they're talking yeah. about this park, we built the park as the Ontario government. You know, we put in place, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the Live Nation was still in operation. The park was in operation. The trail went right through. The pods were being um, refurbished. But the decision to um, to throw in all this private, you know, these private kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, businesses, you know, the spa and put in like a larger, you know, Live Nation um, uh, building, you know, it feels like they're throwing in the sign center to say, look, we, we still have a bit of public, you know, a public piece to this. It seems like it's almost like uh, thrown in to kind of like soften the blow that they're privatizing Ontario. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I, I, I want to have a longer conversation. We're out of time, but I want to have a longer conversation yeah. with you about Ontario Place because the, I, what I remember, and you being a Toronto kid, you were two people like, oh, don't touch the rotating stage. Don't touch the Ontario Place Forum. I like it. I like sitting on the lawn. It, it was the right thing for progress. It was the right thing for jobs. It was the right thing to bring bigger acts here that could play outside. So we like like there needed to be progress at that facility. There's no question about yeah. that. Yeah, without a question. Um, okay, um, we'll we'll have a longer. You got to get it right, right? You got to get it right. Yeah, I'm glad you're passionate about this issue. Come back in in a week or two, and let's have a longer conversation about Ontario Place. Because awesome. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate the time. Take care. Have a great day, Michael Coteau, joining us on Toronto today. Uh, he'd be pretty invested on what happens here in the city. You can tell, and and potentially who the next mayor is as well.